WBNE. Hello, and welcome to episode 114, all about The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug, part two, being the 114th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I'm joined by Matt, aka Nerd of the Rings. Also, this is a lie. This is actually part two of the conversation and this is all pre-recorded and contrived. I mean, it's all pre-recorded because that's that's what a podcast is. Anyway, hi, this is part two of the conversation that I had with Matt about the first part of Desolation of Smaug. That sounds very confusing as I as the words come out of my mouth anyway. So if you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to part one of our conversation. That was last week's episode. And then when you're ready, come back and listen to part two. We have a lot to talk about, even though it's 20 minutes worth of film. Whoops. We both have a lot of feelings, obviously. And we will kick off this episode with this week's chaotic movie summary, and then we will move right into the episode discussion. The company head into Mirkwood with only the instruction to not leave the path. And they don't. The path leaves them. What did you think would happen? That they would spend days upon days traveling in impenetrable darkness only to ignore the only thing that they had been told and leave the path in hopes of getting some food from the elves throwing a dope party in the woods? No, silly. We don't have time for that apparently. Lost and disoriented, the company are attacked by the descendants of our girl boss, Sheila. But have no fear, Bilbo Baggins is here. With the help of a very suspicious ring that turns you invisible, of course. All of a sudden, there's a rustling in the trees. Here comes the boy. Legolas and other elves join in the battle. A beautiful goddess elf named Tariel saves Keeley, and he is immediately in love. And I am immediately confused because none of this was in the book, nor was it even hinted at. Like, what the heck is happening here, people? In the midst of the chaos, Bilbo drops the ring and blindly throws himself into danger in order to get it back. He is horrified by the realization that this has an intensely dark hold on him and puts it away forever, deciding to never use it again. JK, like five minutes later, when the dwarves have been taken prisoner, Bilbo uses the ring to sneak into their fortress. Keely's mad flirting with Tariel right off the bat, and Legolas is mad about it, because I guess he likes her too. That's... That's about all there is to say. Really? It never gets much deeper than that. The elven king, Thranduil, hey, they gave him a name. That's cool. Tries to make a deal with Thorin. In exchange for their release, Thranduil requests an elven necklace be returned to him once they reclaim their treasure. And this could be the easiest deal ever made. Thorin could just straight up lie and agree to it with no intention of giving him this necklace. But again, five brain cells. Thranduil warns Toriel that although Legolas is interested in her, and supposedly she's interested in him, even though I've seen nothing to really indicate that so far, it could never happen because elf reasons idk tolkien probably wrote it in an annotation of a footnote somewhere so then the the dwarves and bilbo go into mirkwood um and this is another chapter that i feel it's really a shame that i i don't think they really quite nailed um with the movie and again when you look at like before the movie adaptation before i saw them I, and if you were to ask me, like, oh, what are they going to really, like, exploit and drag out? I would have been, like, queer lodgings. And I think it's called Flies and Spiders mm-hmm. is when they're in Mirkwood. Yeah. Because a lot happens in those chapters. And I'm like, that could easily be 45 minutes, mm. an hour, if you really want to drag it out all on its own. And they condense it to maybe, I think, 20, 20 minutes total when it's all said and yeah. done. Yeah. So they, they go into Mirkwood. And I don't feel like they got it right because when I was reading it, it like it's supposed to be like impenetrable darkness and i get mm. that you can't you can't have like impenetrable darkness on screen because right. then you're not going to be able to see anything but there <laughs> are ways to convey that this is a really dark forest mm-hmm. and they can't even see like bilbo can't even he holds his hand in front of his face and can't, can't see. even see yeah. his hand um and then there's also this idea that like the air is really heavy mm-hmm. and i feel like they didn't convey those mm. things yeah I think um, I I kind of got a sense of like it being kind of stifling. I guess it more so comes into play when Bilbo finally gets above the tree line, and yeah, like that's when you like musically. I would say musically, like the the music has a good feel for like the stiflingness of mm-hmm. the the air there, and then it's released when when he gets above the trees. Yeah, the the darkness, I think it's 
definitely they they went more for like a dark in tone rather than like uh literal darkness literal darkness yeah, yeah. I, I see what you're saying though like as i scroll back through this like it, it could definitely be darker for sure Ooh, actually and then i think i have some trivia to share about this yeah um the murkwood scenes required nearly all color to be drained from the footage in order to make the forest appear sick as a result objects that needed to retain their color such as mushrooms and lichens i don't know what that is um had to be painted in neon colors to be noticeable yeah. at all in the final movie. Peter Jackson remarked that the set looked like it was painted in 1967. The actors also had to have their faces painted unusually red in order to retain color. Wow. So that's kind of cool that, is, that they like yeah. went in and drained the color to to represent that. Yeah, I remember seeing behind the scenes. It's kind of like when yeah. you hear um that like the original Adams family TV, uh, the set was all like bright reds and pinks really? um, because that was the way to get all these different shades of black and white. Huh, interesting. If you, if you haven't seen set, yeah, if you haven't um, heard about that or, or like seen pictures, mm-hmm. it's really it's really cool to like look up um, to Google search like Adam's Family original set and everything is like red Super and pink. Right. Wow. Because that's how they got certain shades of gray and black and white since that's the, so the interesting. TV show was in black and white. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> the more you know, there yeah. you go. <laughs> I will say one thing I do love, like one shot in particular that I love is like you know the sequence when they're all kind of starting to lose it a little bit, and yeah. Bilbo like looks backwards and sees himself, but then like right after that he looks down and his feet are moving backwards. Yeah, and like I, I get that was kind of their way to convey um, how when you're reading the book and it's you know. 15 pages of them walking endlessly and then um i remember they're like they're all really mad at bomber because he fell in the river and like fell yeah. asleep and they had to carry him and they're all like losing hope and everything so i get that they they did use that like hallucination mm-hmm. moment where bilbo is like kind of losing his mind to convey like all of that in just like one moment right and that is another thing that shows up in the extended is bomber falling into the oh they have it yeah so they do have that so so yeah i i forget like until we start talking about this like i i forget what i've missed by watching because i watched the theatrical um before this and i i forget the moments that that i miss from the extended but yeah bomber Mm. falling in the water is in there um but yeah it's it still is a, a fairly short sequence and we don't get like the the elves um you know, partying in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I, I don't get the impression that they've been walking for days mm. and days. It just feels like maybe a couple hours. Right. And also another change is that they, they lose in the movie, they lose the path. Like they lose track of yep. it um, and they don't know where it is. In the book, they make the decision, like the, the collective decision to leave the path on their own yeah. because they see the, el- and it's like a very, again, and it doesn't go with this vision for the movie that is happening. In the book, it's very silly. The elves are having a party mm-hmm. in a field and they keep trying to go They're and like, crash We're really the party. hungry. We want some of their food. And then they just disappear. Yeah. And it happens several times. And then they realize, oh, we left the path. And I, it's it's very silly. Yeah. So if they were gonna go for that more like funny silly vibe, mm-hmm. they m- would have done that. Yeah. But they lose in in the movie they lose the path. And they also there's a moment where they pick up a tobacco pouch, mm-hmm. and Bo I think it's Bofer is like, oh my god, there are other dwarves in here. And again, the dwarves have five brain cells collectively because <laughs> Bilbo is the one who have to who has to be like, there aren't other dwarves in here we're walking in circles yeah you're an idiot yeah and i just i see i took that as to be just like they're all delirious because they're they're all just like in awe of it like like oh this would this looks just like mine it's like it is yours yeah that's because it is yours bofer um and then they all kind of start you know arguing with each other and bilbo gets it happens a lot with him he gets you know lost in the crowd or they Mm -hmm. don't hear him or they don't see him and that's when he climbs up to the top and this is a moment where i think they nailed it um 
Uh, and they did such a great job with this little scene where he comes up out of the trees. And like you said, you feel you do feel that sense of relief mm-hmm. as the sun is on his face and he gets a breath of fresh air. It's it's like sunset. So everything's kind and it's also autumn. So everything's kind of golden mm-hmm. and there are butterflies. And it is a really beautiful moment mm-hmm. um and it look and it, it looks good too there's some as we've discussed not everything in these movies looks great but uh this part looks looks pretty good yeah yeah i absolutely love this part like i said before the, you know the the freedom from like the stifling uh right undergrowth or you know the the main uh ground level you know, that he's able to escape from that. He takes a big deep breath in. And then I, I always like when you get a sense of location, you know, where where they are. So the fact that he sees the river that they're going to end up going down in barrels and the yeah. lake where Lake Town is and the mountain, it kind of gives you a sense like, oh, OK, so we're like starting to get close-ish you know yeah and he yeah and he says that too he he, he's so you know hopeful and excited um because he's like he's like guys we're we're not that like i see the mountain and i see the lake we just need to head in this direction and he's so excited about it he's like can you hear me and i'm like no bilbo you're like a tiny little hobbit and you're all the way up in these trees they can't hear you um and then off in the distance, he sees the the trees moving mm-hmm. in a line coming towards them. And the way that like he kind of like slowly like slinks back <laughs> down into the trees is just kind of funny. <laughs> um, he ducks back down to the trees and his feet have been encased in a web mm-hmm. and he trips over and falls and a spider comes out and wraps him in a web and he's knocked out. Not what happens in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Bilbo is smart enough in the book to put the ring on and he like hides and escapes from the the spiders. Mm-hmm. And this is where he has his big hero in the book, at least this is his big heroic glow up. Um, because up until this point, he hasn't really done anything brave or courageous. And mm-hmm. they, they made that change for the movie. And I can't decide if I like it or not, because I really love the moment in the book where he steps up and all of a sudden is like, I'm going to save the yeah. day. And it's just such a great moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't we don't get to see that in the movie. Yeah. Um, he does. He does still save everyone. And that's great. It just doesn't have that same impact right. like it did in the Book. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, once again, going back to the two to three movies change, because I don't think you need the moment of Bilbo standing in front of Thorin, you know, all that stuff that happens on the hilltop at the end of the first film. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need that. It's just a simple escape. Like, oh, we're up in the trees. Let's throw some pine cones at him. The eagles come. We're in a bad spot here. Eagles come and save him. Like, you don't need Bilbo's hero moment that redeems him in Thorin's eyes. Like, you know, we would be two-thirds of the way through the first of two movies right now when when Bilbo finally, you know, becomes a hero, so to speak, like he does in the book. And I think this is a much more uh, dramatic and impactful way that he becomes a hero like he does in the book, you know, saving them from spiders as we've seen in Lord of the Rings, you know, hobbits seem to fare well with spiders apparently. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when they have elven, elven, not even swords, um, letter openers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's another moment that I actually love, like, and part of it is Martin Freeman's delivery of it when, you know, yeah, Yeah. when the, when the spider says it stings, it stings. And he's like, he's like, sing. That's a good name. (laughs) That's a pretty good name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just one of those, there's moments like that where it's like, oh, that, that seems like it, you know, it's genuinely a good movie moment and it like genuinely captures some of that feeling from the book as well. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a pretty, you know, it's a small thing, but I feel like that's a pretty true to book Bilbo, like how that would play out. Right. Yeah. So Bilbo wakes up um, and breaks out of his web and stabs i guess because he had because sting is able to cut through these webs um and kills a spider and then he goes to help um everyone else and he puts the ring on and i i'm not sure that this is a detail that they did in the lord of the rings movies but it's something in the book that we know that when whoever you know someone puts the ring on they can understand uh whatever language 
dark creatures are speaking whenever they have the ring on. Hmm. And that's something that they brought in here. And Bilbo suddenly, because it, it, you hear just like random spider noises. And then it goes into when he has the ring on and he goes into ring mode yeah. and it's all hazy. He can hear what they're saying. Right. He causes a distraction and uh, the, the spiders run away and he goes and cuts down everyone. And then... Uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, he goes and cuts down everyone, and then a spider all of a sudden attacks him, and that's when he yeah starts stabbing it, and then the one the spider yeah says it stings. It's it says where is it? And Bilbo takes the ring off and goes here, and then <laughs> stabs him. Yes, uh, which is a very fun, also like very you know cocky right of, of yeah. Bilbo to do that you know I would not do that I would think I would just <laughs> I, stay I would invisible thank hidden. you very much <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's I, I actually really liked uh you know how it, it seemed like um and I I'd never really thought of this before until this last viewing but they kind of made these spiders you know Shelob is such like this huge creepy because it's so massive um but these like they're still cr- huge and creepy but they move faster and like seem more yeah. jittery and stuff. And like the speed, I realize like how fast they like wrap people up and how fast they scurry and stuff. Oh and yeah, it, like, it's definitely it freaks creepy. me yeah. out. I'm not a big spider mm-hmm. person, but so and a lot of them, a lot of them, like there are a lot of moments where like the spider, it's like a jump scare moment, mm-hmm. or I guess they made it for those 3D moments mm-hmm. where there's a, there's like a lot of spider fangs and eyes yes. in your face, yeah. kind of moments. Um. And then they go, they go and then we have this huge fight where the spiders are going after the dwarves and, you know, they're killing them in inventive ways. There's one moment where they all grab a, the leg of a spider yes. and just pull them apart, right. <laughs> which is kind of gross. It, yeah, it's <laughs> really kind of gross, gross actually. but it, like I, I kind of in a way liked it, I guess, because I don't know, it just seemed like, you know, the the dwarves just make do with whatever they had. They didn't yeah. have their weapons handy, so they just each grab a leg. Grabbed a leg. I yeah, mean, one of them, because one of them goes over and is like, grab a leg. Yeah. yeah. And then they just pull. <laughs> and then they pop off. And so while they're, you know, all fighting the mm-hmm. spiders, uh, Bilbo has dropped the ring. Mm. And uh, he goes after it, and it's like right at the edge of this like hole where a, a different co- I'm not sure what kind of creature it is. Yeah, I don't um, know if it's like a baby spider or something. Like I don't know. Really it sure. seems like it has a hard shell or something on it. it it's definitely like creepier yeah. and like gross looking. It's, grosser yeah. than the other spiders. Um and it's like right next to this creature and Bilbo has this moment where he's like I'm go I'm going after I don't have to go after this creature. Yeah. But I'm doing it because I need I need to get the ring back. Yeah. And he fights this creature and kills it. And then, like, catches his breath and grabs the ring and then holds it up in front of the creature and says, mine. Mm-hmm. And then lies down. And then was this the mo- the, the yes. moment you were referring yes, to earlier? Was. Yeah. <laughs> Where he... Doesn't and, say n- a word. no words. Doesn't say there a word. no words. And I know exactly what is being conveyed. Yes. Where he looks at the ring and it's this intense relief um he's so relieved to have it back Mm -hmm. and then he all of a sudden realizes what what a heavy hold it has on him he's like i totally endangered my life trying to get this ring Mm -hmm. back and this horror like this horrifying moment of realization comes across him where he's like oh my god what is this even And it's so it's so good. It's, and again, he yeah. doesn't he doesn't say anything. No, no, there's no words whatsoever. Like I this to me is arguably the best acting in the entire trilogy. And like that's you know, that's a, a compliment. Like I think they're like I've said before, there's great actors. I think, you know, some of Thorin's moments in uh Battle of Five Armies where he like descends into madness, like that's some great like Shakespearean acting from Richard Armitage but like this whole sequence no words whatsoever spoken but he goes through such a range of emotions from Mm -hmm. like you said relief to finding the ring to like dawning comprehension of what he's just done to looking back at the ring and like realizing that the ring is what has caused 
the, him to do this and like, you know, try and just, I guess, like you said, like, what the heck is this thing? And then he goes to, you know, like hiding it because, oh, he's got to go back to the dwarves, like quick hide this this thing that's my precious little secret, you know? And yeah. like, it's it's such a great, um, you know, like some of the, the finest actors in the world are the only ones who can really do something like this. Um, right. You know, I've seen entire video essays on uh, actors like Anthony Hopkins and stuff, how they can go through a range of emotions without saying words and just like convey parts of a conversation by their nonverbal communication. And yeah, the, like I, I could go on about this, but it's it's truly one of the my favorite parts um, of Martin Freeman's performance. Mm-hmm. So we have this excellent, excellent moment um and then right afterwards is kind of the most nonsensical crazy <laughs> moment <laughs> where uh he, wh- what's that up in the trees it's legolas legolas <laughs> but is it i mean is it more nonsensical though than than uh him taking down the oliphant in uh return of the king oh my god I mean, well at least like we knew at least legolas was literally in supposed to be in that story you know like (laughs) um so my question for you since you um you know saw the movies in theaters and everything and you were excited about the movies Mm -hmm. in the lead up did everyone know that legolas was going to appear in the movies yeah or was it a surprise okay so that was yeah he was in the trailer i'm pretty sure okay yeah Um, and like there had been news that orlando bloom was coming back like it was if if you were that would have been a tough secret to hide i think yeah yeah i think it was and i i think at that point they wanted people to know because of familiarity they're like we need to get people to come see these movies yeah (laughs) right yeah um because the way that they have his entrance is so grand and dramatic that i'm like did they mean for this to be a surprise yeah um for almost like i'm imagining like people in you know theaters for endgame when Uh spoiler when the portals open everyone lost their minds you know so i'm kind of imagining i don't know people being like oh my god it's legolas yeah no i (laughs) I think I and I genuinely think in um, because I would go to see these, you know, opening day or like the second Mm -hmm. day, like I I didn't waste any time going to see them. And I feel like there were cheers when Legolas showed up in that manner. Like I had no problems with it whatsoever. Like the way he showed up, I was like, you know, we've we've already established like Legolas is you know, this uh, almost supernatural archer acrobat yeah. it's guy. It's like the, the way he is, yeah, doing everything is very on brand for like what we know about his character from, from Lord of the right. Rings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he comes in and all the rest of these elves swoop in and start killing the spiders and saving the day and they round up the dwarves um, and then there's still Keely being chased by a spider mm-hmm. and oh my God, guys, it's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> we get a woman um she uh an elf swoops in uh and saves keely and this is a fun little moment that the first time i was watching it you know she swoops in and mm-hmm. and he's like give me a dagger and then she's like you think i would give a dagger to a dwarf right. and she flings it at the spider and kills it and yeah. the way that keely like turns around and looks at her it's almost like he's immediately in love with her in that <laughs> moment and the first time I watched this, I jokingly said, like, oh, I don't know what's happening here, but I ship it. <laughs> like, I, like, that'll be. F- and oh, then my gosh. Knowing Little what I know you now, know. <laughs> I'm like, what a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a f- it's a fun aspect, fun in theory, the way they executed mm-hmm. it. Not so much. Um but yeah, here comes uh, the the single singular female character in this entire trilogy. <laughs> and I understand, I get it. I mm-hmm. get it that they were like, this is the year, you know, 20, I don't remember, I don't know what year they were even starting yeah, like 14 the productions, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like this is the year 2013, 2014. We cannot put out a trilogy that has all male main characters mm-hmm. we cannot in good conscience do that we gotta figure out some way to get a woman in here and i respect that mm-hmm. however i think it just would have been better if they just just make some of the you know if you're coming in and you're changing 
and adding to Tolkien's story, mm-hmm. then just go ahead and change some of one of the 13, not even all of mm. them, just make one of the 13 dwarves a woman. <laughs> and it would have been better because unfortunately, the introduction of Tariel, uh, her mere existence adds a pl- an extra plot line that adds a n- lot of unnecessary content to the movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so I I think (laughs) they were coming from a good place. I get it. But um, it might have just been better if they made some of the dwarves women and then stuck stuck with the main story from the book that I just talked for five minutes straight, I I think. No, that's that's good. (laughs) No, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, You know, some a lot of times people are surprised to hear me say this, but I actually with some very big caveats here that I'll get to. I really enjoy the character of Tauriel. I just I do don't yeah. enjoy like the unnecessary plot lines that they saddled her with. Mm-hmm. Evangeline Lilly, I love Evangeline Lilly. Like she was in Lost, she's in the Ant-Man movies, you know, and some of the Avengers movies, whatever. But um, you know, she's great in all those things. And I thought she was a great choice for this. And I think she does, you know, a great job coming off as a awesome uh warrior elf woman you know um yeah but like the it's just the love triangle thing is just too much like it it just it's it doesn't work in any form or fashion very forced the like and you'll get to this my god but like it's one of the worst (laughs) like why does it hurt so much like could be applied to so many aspects of you know the storylines they saddled her with because it hurts so much like you created this character like from this introduction scene i'm like bought in like yep yep she kicks butt okay yeah i'm on board and with i don't that. need her i don't need her to be involved in a right, romantic yeah. story like, i you know and i'm i'm one who you know i if i will usually err on like yes i would prefer it to be more like the books like whatever it is, you know, or the source material, you know, I'll I'll, um, tend to, you know, agree with like, don't change things just for the sake of changing them. But like, I totally get like, yeah, you don't have many female characters. Like, you know, it would be nice if while I'm, you know, she's only one year old at the time, but when I'm eventually watching movies with my daughter that are middle earth based, it's like, it'd be great if it wasn't all men. And Mm -hmm. I could say like, Hey, look how cool she is, you know? And like, um, it's just unfortunate that they saddled her with yeah. like this weird love triangle that doesn't work. Yeah, I've said um, a couple times that I don't know if I've ever said it on the podcast that like Lord of the Rings is a series that like I would be very happy to like share with my son because mm-hmm. it has a lot of great like representations and role models for you know masculinity mm-hmm. and and men and everything. But it's not really a great story to share with my daughter because it's like okay you can connect with one of three characters Eowyn. one of them yeah. one of them is ethereal and has no flaws and is impossible to live up to yeah. you can be arwen who is dying for the majority of the trilogy <laughs> or you can be eowyn who, <laughs> who yeah i mean eowyn's yeah definitely of, like she's great she's great but like a lot of things that happen to her are mm-hmm. you know like she's scorned by the world of men and all these other things so it's like yeah it's not it's not a great situation to be in yeah so yeah. i at least respect that they understood those drawbacks and flaws from the Mm -hmm. source material and we're like we're gonna fix that and i'm like Mm -hmm. but are you adding this female character just to say you have a female character and just to it's kind of like two steps forward one step back when you add in this female character but then really the only thing she does in the movie is has have this romantic plot line going on yeah she would have been fine just (laughs) as like you know a warrior that was with all the other you know warriors and like i you know we'll get to the point in the film here but like the the whole playing off of uh her not being a worthy enough like because of the kind of elf she is because she's a sylvan elf and so she's Mm. not good enough for legolas kind of thing like that is a compelling storyline that's true to tolkien you know there's definitely a hierarchy so to speak of you know the race different delineations of elves um but yeah the the whole dwarf 
thing doesn't work. And I will say, you know, going back to, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings and AON, like I get like, I think a lot of people too, you know, they get too caught up in like, does this check all the boxes? Like I would rather watch, you know, Lord of the Rings, even if it doesn't have that many, you know, female characters, like I would encourage, you know, my daughter, like, well, you can still relate to Frodo, you know, like, you know, not saying, you know, I didn't want to. To make it sound like, oh, well, you know, they've got to check that box of having a female, which I mean, yeah, no. it's, it's it's not like it's, you know, clearly like they could do it like they got Tariel in here and like there's definitely the she did great the for makings. about five minutes. Yeah, there's definitely the <laughs> makings of a great addition to Tolkien's work in a female role. Like if you can do it and do it well, awesome. Like, yeah. but if you're not going to do it well, you're re- like, there's then a lot of people who hate Tariel unjustified it's not really the character's fault it's not the actor's fault like evangeline lily you know from what i've read part of her conditions for taking the role was i don't want to be part of a love triangle and they're like oh yeah that's cool and then the studio was like oh yeah um add a love triangle we need a a love story in this and so then they had to add it yeah um but yeah sorry that's kind of a mess of like thoughts just flooding out but um, that's a whole and like all of that and we yeah what was that i don't know that was like 10 minutes of conversation <laughs> yeah. literally just from like her appearing. like tauriel showed up like okay <laughs> yeah, just showing up let's do so <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so they gather up all the el- the dwarves and start searching them there's this really funny bit that i really only noticed for the first time uh this watch through where they just keep pulling knives yes. out of keely <laughs> i actually really like that yeah, I had that it's in my notes. It's very funny, and it comes back around later, too. Yes. Um, they just keep, like, finding knives and daggers and stuff. And and Legolas pulls this locket mm-hmm. out, uh, or, you know, something like that, uh, out of Gloin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who, you know, who is that? Who is this? Your brother? And he's like, that's my wife. <laughs> and then he's like, and who is this goblin mutant? And he says, that's my wee lad Gimli. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that I so much enjoyed this moment it was definitely you know a wink wink nudge nudge to the audience (laughs) but the fact that like it was very brief it was very simple Mm -hmm. um and i think it's really the only time that they have this kind of a moment in this trilogy i um i really thought that there would be a you know never toss a dwarf kind of a thing Mm. at some point and they didn't go for any of that which is good so so just this moment is really great i enjoyed it so much my my only (laughs) hang up with this like it's the the term goblin mutant that he calls the picture given like so what is mean. this goblin mutant i'm like mutant i'm like where does that work like just from a linguistic perspective i'm like do they have mutants in middle earth like i don't i guess they I don't do know if that's a a thing so like i so yeah that was the thing that stuck out to me like when i watch this in theaters it's like why did Legolas just use the term mutant like that seems (laughs) like I immediately think of like the Ninja Turtles or something yeah moments like that um in these and in the Lord of the Rings movies too where like they say something like there was a moment um uh, and I was just editing the episode where we were talking about this where someone go they're eating in Rivendell and someone goes do they have any chips yeah um and like, I'm like, do they, do they have the, right. you know, ch- I'm assuming them using the like British term chips, oh, meaning French fries. fries. Right. But even then, it's like French fries is kind of a, I mean, obviously like fried potato mm-hmm. is not a new or modern concept, but like I mean, chips. Yeah. We knew that we could boil them, mash them, and stick them in a stew. Stick them in a stew. But yeah. he doesn't mention, <laughs> doesn't French mention fries, slicing yeah, them. Chips. Yeah. <laughs> and and frying them in oil, right? Yeah. yeah. So like that, there are a lot of those moments where I'm like, do they like? Is that eh, whatever? I'm not gonna worry about if, it. If someone would know about it, it would be Sam. Like he would have known how to no, make fries. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also get buff and tough Legolas. I did note that. Like, there's definitely a noticeable. He's like. He's very it's 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 one of my gripes with what they did with his characterization in these movies where he's really like jaded and hardened by the world in a way that doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. for how he is in the you would think it would be the opposite Opposite. where like he's young and naive and Mm -hmm. playful here. And then by the time we get to Lord of the Rings, he's a lot, you know, he's older and, you know, he's seen everything and he doesn't really care anymore about this stuff. 
Well, um, they they so specifically it doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah, they specifically went for the opposite in Lord of the Rings. Like if you watch some of the um, special features, like uh, the moment that Boromir dies, um, you know, Legolas has this look on his face. Like there's a couple moments, and like when Gandalf dies, like his reactions yeah. to those moments are like the weight of the world has fallen on him. Like he has this crashing realization that, you know, these people are gone and never coming back. Like, and they say in, you know, the special features, like this is a guy who has not seen a lot of death. Death, and yeah. And we have the Hobbit movies where it's like, he seems to be seeing a seen, lot of seen, death. Yeah. Like, like what's, there's a what's lot of death about? going yeah. on here. Yeah. yeah. So they definitely missed out on that. I think, I think part of the, you know, Legolas definitely like frame wise, I think, Orlando Bloom is a little bit uh, more ripped, I guess, in this one. <laughs> he's Maybe, not so yeah, slim. Yeah. Um, but I noticed, like, his voice, he's like, he just seems he's so much more older. gruff. Yeah. He seems a little yeah. more gruff and not so, he's like, definitely. It's just a fair. fact of, like, yeah. he, he aged 10 yes. years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the actor in the 10 years since he previously filmed this role. Right. Has aged ten years, oh, and, that's, sure. and there's you know some things that you know you can't like go back and edit right. and do to yeah. to change that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, just with this small moment, it just makes me laugh knowing that fun little piece of trivia. It's like jokes on you, Legolas. You're gonna end up sneaking <laughs> that that dwarf into the Undying Lands right. with you because you can't fathom existing without that's him. That's right. He's gonna be your BFF. <laughs> favorite favorite part so yeah then they pull everyone into uh their is there a uh, do they have a name for like what this like kingdom or castle is or anything um so it's uh thranduil's halls i think is that right yeah i think the halls of the okay, elven so it's King, not it's not like I you think. know we have a name for rivendell the halls of the elven king okay yeah, yeah. yeah. um so they pull um because there's this moment where I don't know why they pull out Thorin's sword and they're like, this is an elven mm -hmm. blade. Where did you get this? I don't know why saying we found it in a cave where a bunch of trolls had stolen stuff. I don't know why that wouldn't be a sufficient answer. Right. Yeah. It's but like, you know, it's like we this... have to move the plot along for whatever reason. Yeah. Like this, <laughs> this blade is like 7,000 years old. Like you don't think, you know, if, if, if an elf had it, don't you think you would know about this famous blade? Like, why is that not plausible? You know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, and so they get pulled into, yeah, the the halls of the Elven King. And once again, Beaufort is the only one to notice like, <laughs> Bilbo's gone. Yeah. God bless, God bless Beaufort. He's the only one who keeps track of of that Hobbit. Yes. Which I did. Um, I so that is one of the like character traits, and one of the things I love about um. So they had these this series of uh, books, the Hobbit Chronicles, that have a lot of really good behind the scenes nuggets. But there's one on the characters from, and it, it coincides with the first film, and it talks about like the unique traits of each dwarf. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I feel like if if you know to look for it, you can notice it. And one of those things is that Bofors always kind of like looking out for Bilbo, and so. Um, I think I, I mentioned it even in a video on the dwarves or something that I did a while back that he's always the one saying, where's Bilbo? It's like three or oh, four times. I love it, yeah. Like he's always looking out for him. And so it's kind of, and it adds a little more poignancy to the extended moment from Battle of Five Armies where Bilbo does actually leave and Bofors the one that sees him leave. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But I do I do really enjoy Bofor. Yeah, he's great. And like the actor's great with the character oh, sure. too. Yeah. yeah. So um, we are then introduced to like if you thought if you thought Legolas was extra, <laughs> just wait for it. <laughs> we see where he gets it from. Right. Um, we have all these shots of like we see like I think like maybe the throne mm -hmm. and then some his rings. Ring, yeah. Like he his, his hand he's like tapping on his throne and mm -hmm. we see some you know very extravagant jewelry and everything. Yeah. Everyone. It, meanwhile, the and we also get a shot of just his eyes. Mm -hmm. Very intense eyebrows. Yep. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we see the dwarves being put into individual cells. And again, this is continuing the joke from earlier. They pull one last sword out of <laughs> <Right>. Keeley's coat. <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry, out of Feely's coat. Yes, yes. Um, Feely. And then I may have misspoken earlier. The joke 
um, where they're pulling all the knives out, they're pulling all these from staggers Feely. out from Feely, yes. not Keely. Yes. <laughs> And I do love that bit. Like it's so it's so (laughs) good. It's very funny. Well, also it's just like a very funny trope. Yeah. No matter what, of like there's always that one person who like has all all these hidden weapons. Yeah. And it gives like anything that gives the dwarves something to make them distinct. Like yes. You know any chance you see that when when you do see it, like it's generally pretty good. You notice it. Um, Yeah. It's just we don't see much of that. You know, basically from this point on, I feel like. We see a lot less of it. Right. Um, and then that sets up for Keely to look to Tario and go, oh, aren't God. you going to search me? I might have something down my trousers. And the way that he plays it is kind of, I, I, he sh- I felt like he should have added a wink or something, but he plays it very straight. But the way that Tario goes, or nothing. <laughs> There might be nothing down your trousers. I like ch- that gave me a good chuckle. Oh and I was like, okay, this playful banter I enjoy and they could do well going just with this like playful attitude between mm. them. And instead they, you know, they they don't really go that direction. Um I but yeah, say, that's just a fun moment. Yeah, I will say that is like in my top that might be my least favorite line of the entire joke. Really? It makes me cringe oh. every time. Like, it's just so... Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's my favorite moment, but... Uh, you don't I have think... to backtrack. If it's your favorite, just say it's your favorite. No, because... <laughs> <laughs> no, I do agree with you, because when he does say, like, there might be something down my trousers, that's why I said, like, I feel like he should. there needed to be, like, a wink or a smirk yeah. or something, but it... The moment is saved for me because Toriel says, or nothing, yeah. and then just shuts the door on him. Yeah. And, like smirks at him. It's just like, like when, like that, it just seems so out of place, like in a Tolkien adaptation. Like, yeah, it's that just is true. So, that is like, true, too. Yeah. Like, well, it's also because we haven't had any, like, individual characterization moments with Keeley, so we don't yeah. know necessarily if that's in his character to be playful like right. that and to make jokes like that. Yeah. And so that's why it does seem kind of, you know, yeah. random that that he's saying that. Yeah. And it just seems like it's just and, you know, part of the reason I hate it so much is because of, you know, everything that's still to come with this yeah, plot line. I get it. I get but, it. But like it's it's just kind of like where it kicks off, you know, the uh the moment in the woods where they, you know, he wants her to throw a dagger and stuff. And like, like that actually made a lot more sense. She, you know, she just says, you know, I'm not giving you a weapon dwarf, like just kind of condescending, like typical elf dwarf, you know, I, I, I could have dealt with some of that, like dwarf elf banter, but like this weird thing where it's like, Oh, all of a sudden, like he's got the hots for this elf lady out of nowhere that just, captured him in the woods like see and and that's why i think it might make a little more sense if you look at that moment when he when she kills the spider and then he turns and looks at her if you're like that's the moment he immediately fell in love with her (laughs) it's just so bad oh my gosh yeah i just they don't do uh, whatever oh there's more there's more in in this movie to talk about right yeah uh, regarding those two yeah Um, and Legolas is so broody. Yeah. <laughs> he's so broody. And it makes, uh, uh, he's like, because he, he says to Tori, he's like, huh, that dwarf is like, really, like, why is he paying so much attention to you? And she's like, I don't know. And then she says, like, he's kind of tall for a dwarf. And I'm like, why are you, like, like defending him? Or like, yeah. why are you, I would get maybe why he's in love with you. Because like, you're this like, tall, beautiful Amazonian goddess right. who came in and saved the day. Like, <laughs> I can get from like, his perspective perspective why he's like immediately in love with her yeah. but like she has no reason to you know be attracted to him especially after and Legolas like, is right there yeah Legolas is there and like I don't I don't know whatever he's like yeah and Legolas is he's just so broody and dark and <laughs> it's just not the same Legolas yeah. that we knew in Lord of the Rings because if it was then Tauriel would totally be with him like it's a no-brainer. It's uh, whatever, man. I don't know. I don't know what to make sense of it. Another moment where all the dw- where it's like, oh, the dwarves have five brain cells. Um, they all are trying to break out of their cells, and I think and Balin has to be like, "You idiots! You're not getting <laughs> these out. These are these are like elven-made cells. We're not getting out of here. You guys yeah. are idiots. Just stop it." 
And so now we have this this reveal of who was that? Who who did those eyebrows belong to? <laughs> um, we see Thranduil, yes, who's played by Lee Pace, who is has two an years awesome crown younger than Orlando Bloom. Yes, which I just think is so funny, is funny and odd. But yeah, he has a very the way I wasn't like fully able to describe it, but his his performance as Thranduil is really interesting in a way that like I'm a little unsettled by Thranduil Mm. I'm kind of like I don't I don't quite know what to make of you Mm -hmm. you make me a little uncomfortable and nervous but also like you're so ethereal and like otherworldly and beautiful and then I was Mm -hmm. like wait a minute that's literally just what the elves are like (laughs) that's just what the elves are like it's there they make you a little nervous and unsettled yeah but they're also really like smooth like like naturally um coordinated and graceful Mm -hmm. and everything and it's like i don't know what to make of you yeah he's like uh like if elrond was a a big jerk basically that's yeah that's what you get you get thrint yeah (laughs) Uh, so yeah. he tries uh he tries to make a deal with Thorin mm-hmm. um cuz he's like and it's again it's another moment of like what does it matter to you if he's trying it cuz he's like ah i i suspect attempted burglary and it's like is it really burglary if he's like trying to break into his own home and like steal back what is his family's right to own um but he reveals that there're some i forget what it, they're like light Jewels, star, starlight jewels, Gems or something. Of white starlight, I think he says. Yeah, something like that. Um, in that treasure yeah. that he wants back, and so he's like, "I'll let you go if you agree mm-hmm. to give me back what was ours." And the and here's the the thing is that it this would be a very easy deal to be like, "Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> I accept that deal." Right. And then they're released, and then they don't even have to hold up their end of the bargain, right? You know, because they've already been released. Yeah. But it's so in Thorin's character mm-hmm. to not accept any kind of a deal mm-hmm. with elves that it that it makes sense. Yeah, and it, it's such a weird like. So I don't know if you know that the trivia behind this. Supposedly, the gems belong to Thranduil's wife, so Legolas's mother, who in this trilogy is dead. Yes, yes, <laughs> has some yeah. tragic backstory that we'll get to in Battle right. of Five Armies. Yes. That for some reason yeah. they're like, I must avenge my mother. Right. Yeah. Was, oh my god. I don't know. Yeah, I forgot how much some of this stuff falls <laughs> off the rails. Um, but yeah, so like it, it's never really explained like why he wants these gems so bad, and like if they were yeah. his wife's, like that gives his character a lot more motivation because otherwise, like. I, f- I feel like that's a big missing piece with his character is why does he care so much to march to the mountain? Like, yeah. Like, what difference does it make to him? Like, does he need treasure? We don't establish, like, any yeah. need or desire of his, you know? In the in the book, the reason that they hold the dwarves is because the dwarves, like, came into their territory and they tried to... They're like, you assaulted us on multiple yeah. occasions. Like, attempted, you know, aggravated assault right. because they had these all these parties happening that they You're kept trying to our crash. Parties. Yeah. And so they at least had, like, that reason to not that like i think that's sufficient reason to like hold them prisoner but whatever (laughs) um they're like what are like what's your business being in our land and causing all this disruption and you stirred up these creatures and and everything um and then it it does mention that like the elven king would be interested in shiny things Mm -hmm. is basically like what it says is that like they're interested in treasure yeah. and so that's why later on when they hear smaug is dead they're like "Ooh, sounds like it's our our chance to get, get some, some treasure. treasure yeah yeah so these but these particular gems kind of like with the arkenstone it's like well then why is like why is this particular thing yeah that important yeah which is fine like if you're gonna make them important but kind of but give us a reason important. like give us a reason why yeah. it's important like at least with the arkenstone they said like oh you know in dwarf belief they think it gives them the right to rule or something i don't fully Um, understand either (laughs) which which it doesn't make sense if you like really look into it but um but like you know tell us that those are his wife's jewels like i don't know how they would manage to make their way to the you know dwarf kingdom yeah like we don't we aren't told that we're just told like oh yeah he likes he likes these uh 
these shiny white gems for some reason. So yeah, and then uh, so so Thorin like I don't know. Did you have you Googled the insults like what Thorin uh, says to him in Dwarvish? No. What does he say? So, you can go ahead. And yeah. Say so he says uh, <laughs> like Imrid. Amrad Ursul, which means die a death of flames Damn. or die a oh, fiery death. Oh, and that's death. what causes, right, because yeah. that's when he says. Don't speak to me of dragon fire um, or Also, but like, then what's the point of like dwarvish if the elves know some of it? You I know? think it's, it's just, like... maybe it's just him like, you know, you, you go back to your primary language when you get fired up or something like. Well, you know. no, I get that. But like, why would like the elves know dwarvish? Oh, you know, and it, maybe it's yeah. just that the king knows it because he's, you know, maybe yeah. like an everyday elf wouldn't know what that meant. Maybe Tauriel um, but doesn't yeah, that's know what, it. Yeah, and yeah. that's what prompts yeah him to be like, I know of dragon fire yeah. or whatever he says. <laughs> and then he has that really weird moment where he like twitches mm-hmm. or something. Then he's he's like two-faced yeah. all of a sudden, then goes back to normal. And mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think I've ever fully understood what that meant. Yeah. What I think we're supposed to be led to believe is that at some point in his past, Thranduil has encountered a dragon or dragons and like those are actual injuries and that like his magic somehow covers it up. Okay. And so that was him like, you know, I think I would have seen, I would have loved to see him throughout the whole movie with that. Right. Like scar. Like that would have been really cool. So like, And that's, you know, that's something that was made up for the films. Um, Like, as far as we know, Thranduil never met any dragons. Like, the only time he likely would have would have been um, in the first age. Like, clear back in the first age, um, you know, when Morgoth had uh, dragons. But even then, like, it's, it's doubtful. So that was definitely, like, just a, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Thranduil... Had some dragon scars. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also I should mention, you in The Hobbit, he's only known as the Elven King. Yes. We don't even have a name. Right. So they yeah. so they named him y'all Thranduil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really I don't. Yeah, it's a really interesting moment. I mean, it from is him. a cool. So like it's a definitely a cool transition and a like it makes it's another thing that's like interesting about his character that never comes into play again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, they do a lot of that. There, yeah. there are a lot of those moments where I'm like, they have these little small, like aside, asides and small character moments yeah. that just never come up again. Yeah. I guess so many people on the channel asking me like, like, so what, what happened to Legolas's mom? I'm like, uh, we don't have any don't idea. Know. Yeah. Like, did Thranduil <laughs> ever face a dragon? Not, not that we're no, aware we of, no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so then he's like, fine, go rot in your cell. You know, a hundred years is a second yeah, to elves. Right. And then he goes, I can wait. Yeah. And the way that he good. does that is like, so like, it's like creepy and we, I don't know. It's just like a really good performance. It is. Yeah. And yeah, Balin's like, so what happened? Did he offer you a deal? And Thorne's like, yeah. And I told him to go f- himself. <laughs> and, and, and Balin's like, Okay, so there it is. Our only chance out of here is a deal. And so we're just going to die down so, here. <laughs> so I also, I looked up in preparation for this, I also looked up the translation of that phrase. He, he says, yeah. like, I told him he could go ishkak fin something, something, something. Um, so it actually, it sounds a lot like what Gimli says to Haldir in, um, oh, this is an extended edition of Fellowship. Right. Uh-huh. Um, which... And, and then Aragorn says that was not so cur- courteous. And so what Gimli was saying in that was, I spit upon your grave. Um, oh, but okay. what Thorin says in this one was a little bit different. And like, like we don't actually have a full Dwarvish language. So it's kind of like people have created it. Like they had like Dwarven scholars kind of thing working oh on these films. Um, That's insane. But, it's always this insane one, to me to hear those things. This one is like from what I've found online, like so, you know, given the source material here that I'm working with, but it says, may my excrement be poured upon the naked jawed ones. Oh my God. So the naked jawed <laughs> being the elves, cause they don't grow beards and his excrement be poured upon them. So. Oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> so there you go. There's your dwarvish for the day. That's hilarious. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And since you brought up Balin, I will say like he doesn't come in much into this section, but Balin is another one of the awesome performances from this trilogy that I absolutely love. Like Ken Stott as mm-hmm. Balin, I thought 
you know, he has he's the other one of the dwarves that has some really great moments with Bilbo too. Mm-hmm. Bilbo is Mimo because uh, Thorin's like, well, a deal wasn't our only hope because he knows that. And this mm-hmm. is what's so different and refreshing from reading Thorin in the books, mm. where Thorin in the books is like, he doesn't care at all about Bilbo yeah. until he's dying. Right. <laughs> it's on his deathbed yeah. that he's like, hey, I was kind of mean to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Um, so it is a little bit refreshing to see moments of Thorin being like, I have some, like, I know that Bilbo is still out there mm-hmm. and I believe that he can come in and save us. Yeah. And so Bilbo is upstairs and he has the ring on and Thranduil says like, come out of the shadows. I can see you. And it's Bilbo's like, oh, oh crap, crap. Can they see <laughs> yeah, <right>. me? <laughs> and then Tariel comes out and it's like, okay, okay. I don't get great vibes between whatever's happening with mm-hmm. Thranduil and Toriel. However, because she's, she says, uh, you know, I'm a lowly sylvan elf. Mm-hmm. So then how did she get to be to the point where she's important enough to be speaking privately with the king? And so I don't get great vibes from this purely just based on that. And maybe there are other moments that happen later on that will back that up too. Mm. Um, but anyway, they are talking about, um, yeah, the spiders and everything mm-hmm. because she, he was like, he was like, you were supposed to kill them two days ago. And she's like, we did, but they came back. There are more. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to go, you know, I want to send out another patrol and go get them. And he's like, it's okay as long as they're not, you know, in our lands. And she's like, you would send, you know, darkness into other lands and do nothing about it. Um which is setting up a lot about, you know, her character and his character and how they view, you know, what they should do in the world. They men- He mentions Legolas and is like, Legolas speaks very highly of you. And she's like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Uh, and, and he's like, you know, um, we wouldn't want him to get the wrong impression. And she's like, believe me. I'm not interested. <laughs> is that how it plays out? That I, that's how I it plays it was, out to me. Oh, I don't okay. get any impression at all that she likes Legolas. See, because she says, uh, I did not think that you would allow your son to pledge himself to a sylvan elf. And then that's when Thranduil says, no, I would not. And I thought, you know, there was like her kind of opening up for the second that that was a possibility. Like I actually yeah, legit mm-hmm. thought that like, like she was like, oh, like, you know, you would be okay with maybe with hoping, us? He yeah, would, like hoping, yeah. hoping like that it was a possibility, and then he like shoots it down and says, "No, I would not be okay with that." And so, like you know, the you know the background there is, uh, you know, the Sylvan Elves are um, they're they're kind of seen as lower because they didn't make it as far on the journey, like way back in ancient days of Tolkien uh, history, where the Elves were migrating. You know, and a lot of them would eventually end up going to the West to live with the Valar for a while. And like basically you're to oversimplify it, like the farther you got on that journey before, you know, stopping off and deciding to live somewhere else, you know, the farther you got, like the better, I guess you could say you are. So like so Thranduil and Legolas are from the Sindar people who made it, you know, all the way over to Beleriand. So they made it a lot farther over and they were involved in events in the first age, whereas the Sylvan Elves were just kind of hanging around in Mirkwood this whole time, missing out on everything. So they're kind of seen as like not as, you know, accomplished or refined or whatever, mm-hmm. however you want to look at it. So it, it's interesting because, you know, Thranduil is a Sindar who rules over a bunch of Sylvan Elves. And so he and Legolas are among the very few Sindar that would actually... um be there. So I, I was actually kind of excited that they went into that a little bit and thought that they would again go into it more. Go into far yeah. But they don't. And yeah, so I, I actually I kind of read it as, you know, she was excited for a second at the opportunity, like, oh, maybe there's a chance for me and Legolas and then Thranduil shoots it down. So um yeah. at that point So yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And I think may- maybe that's what they intended. Mm-hmm. If it weren't for the fact that Tariel and Legolas have now had, even though they are brief, they had two scenes together where I felt zero kind of chemistry mm. between them. Um, because I think maybe had they been going for that, the moment where like Keely's kind of flirting with her, I don't think she would have flirted 
bat i don't yeah. even know know if you want to call that flirting right. but whatever you know, that was whatever playful behavior and then afterwards when legolas is like he you know th- that dwarf is like awfully interested in you i think she would have said something like oh don't worry about him mm. or you know whatever but she says like he's kind of tall for a dwarf yeah almost like i don't you know i'm not too worried about the fact that he's a dwarf yeah uh or you know just doing anything anything to show that like she is interested in him and then the other thing is that the only reason i know that legolas you know, is somewhat interested in her is because they said it in this scene. I never would have get. He mm. just all of a sudden seems very like broody and jealous for no reason. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be any kind of like romantic, mm-hmm. you know, even <clears throat> like hints at like romantic feelings between the two of them in the small moments that we've had thus far. And like, if that's the story yeah. you're going to tell, then you need to put those moments in those scenes. It's almost it's almost as if a studio per se mandated and told them (laughs) that they needed to have a love triangle it's just so incredibly forced it's so forced uh and you can really tell it which is a um, shame like from those moments like i feel like with tauriel you know like i've already said like as a, a character like the actor they picked i loved so much about tauriel like you know and the potential that was there i honestly thought you know and Again, spoiler alert for Battle of Five Armies. Like, I honestly thought she was going to end up dying in Battle of Five Armies. I thought so, too. like, honestly, all you would have to do, like, you wouldn't even have to give this romance angle. But, like, even if it was just, like, Legolas was fond of her or, like, they were best friends since childhood or whatever. Yeah, or even. And, like, so that's, and then she that's dies. the angle that I thought. Yeah. they could go for is like they're be- they've been best friends f- since childhood and that's why they have like but they don't set up that right. kind of like yeah. playful familiarness no. it seems very like cordial and formal yeah. with each other yeah and, like, you know obviously i'm going to say you know if i'm like tweaking this the whole ki- the whole love triangle thing is out the window but <laughs> if uh you know i i thought of you know a better way to do it would be if if Tauriel is the one who dies in Battle of Five Armies and Legolas, it's either, you know, either they're close friends or there's, you know, potential romance there, whatever. And then Tauriel dies because they got involved with this business with all these dwarves. Like it explains why Legolas hates dwarves. Legolas hates dwarves. At the beginning of yeah. Fellowship. Like, yeah. Because that, that's, uh, that's the other thing about Legolas's character is I'm like, you would think that, you know, having some of this these experiences with dwarves like to this extent um where he like goes after them and saves them and like towards the end of this movie when the orcs are in lake town and he's like protecting the door you know Mm -hmm. it's more of a case of like i want to i want to kill these orcs more than i want to like not them kill you you. Yeah. (laughs) yeah exactly yeah um so it, it doesn't yeah like and when he throws when the you sword look at how to save thorin like he didn't have to yeah oh save yeah thorin. yeah like, that's it's like it's, he wouldn't you know whatever like yeah it's just there's there's a few things like that with him that's like that doesn't mesh quite right you know like yeah like it could have you definitely get the sense like ah oh, that could have been done a little cleaner to match better with with the the fellowship right i don't know (laughs) there's a lot of problems here um and then we have one last uh little scene um in this section where the orcs are outside and anytime they cut to the orcs i'm like i don't really care what they're up to like i like i I will just you could show me nothing about what the orcs are doing and i'm just going to assume that they are tracking right the dwarves. But they're trying somehow. to find the dwarves. Yeah. They're trying to find the dwarves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're like the they've closed the gates and they're like, that's not the only w- that like there's got to be another way in. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's go find let's, it. Yeah. And then uh, that's where we will end this section of the movie after a very long recording that I told you <laughs> I would try to keep close. But clearly we had too many thoughts and feelings. Absolutely. No, it happens to me every <laughs> single time. I mean, I spent an hour on a live stream when Amazon <sighs> released its first image. So. I this was bound to happen. <laughs> lots of yeah, lots of feelings and stuff. So, um, well, oh my God, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this first part of Desolation of Smaug. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Oh yes, so uh, 
the main thing would be my YouTube channel. Um, go to youtube.com slash nerd of the rings. Awesome. Cool. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBNE. You can learn more about the network by going to WBNE.org where you will find all of our shows like Sincerely Us. Dear listener, today's going to be a good day and here's why. Because today we have found your new favorite podcast. Do you like all things musical theater? Or do you just like Hamilton? Then Sincerely Us is perfect for you. We take deep dives into modern musicals and teach you all that you need to know. From props and sets to playwrights and composers, we will get you caught up on all things Broadway. We are Becca and Eni, two best friends, here to teach you all about the shows that we love. Sincerely Us, a podcast for the casual musical theater fan. Join us every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts and on WBNE.org. The cover art is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod or following the link in the episode description. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod, and you can also join the Facebook group, which is linked in the episode description. You can find me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod, where you can explore the different tiers and perks that are available. But seriously, it doesn't matter what tier you join. I sincerely appreciate any form of support that I get from literally anyone. It's just so amazing that people want to support this podcast. And one of my wonderful supporters who is also this week's sponsor is Adele. Adele, thank you so much for your continued support of the podcast. I very much appreciate it. Also, if you don't know, when you join Patreon, you will get a Lord of the Rings postcard and you will get another postcard for every six months that you remain a patron because of uh, I was moving this summer. So I got a little bit behind, but I'm catching up. Um, If you were supposed to get one in July or August, those should be in the mail very soon. And then September postcard will be going out in a couple weeks as well. So yeah, you get a fun, cool postcard. And then I'm also thinking of mixing that perk up in the future with possibly some stickers. Ooh, come back for more details because I don't know any of the details right now. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. It lets other people know that, hey, this is a pretty good podcast and you should listen to it. Next week, we will still be covering Desolation of Smaug. Duh, that would be kind of weird if we just stopped after the first 40 minutes. Picks up where we left off around 41 minutes and goes to one hour and 19 minutes. Starts with Keely and Tariel talking, and this conversation is what is eventually the foundation of their entire relationship for the rest of this trilogy, whatever. And it goes to Bard running off and saying, don't let them leave. Oh, Bard, you wonderful man. Do you have any parting words for the audience? What do people usually do for parting words? Man, I feel like it should be something momentous. It doesn't have to be. um, I would say, I know we complained a lot (laughs) about a lot of things in uh, the films. Like I said at the beginning, you know, it's it's really easy to, to pick on these films. There are some truly great things. Um, and I do genuinely enjoy them. Obviously, I don't have the same love for these films as I do The Lord of the Rings. Um, to me, Lord of the Rings is the pinnacle of cinema. Um, but there's still plenty to enjoy. So I know, you know, it's a, a lot of people don't like to um, to watch the Hobbit films or, you know, like to dog on them. But there's definitely some things to enjoy. So, you know, try to go into it if it's your first time going through it as you're listening to this podcast. Um, Look for those things because there are some really good uh, moments to be had and performances to enjoy. And yeah, just uh, I would encourage anyone to whatever the next step is, diving deeper into Tolkien to do so. Um, Some of the most rewarding conversations I've had on my channel is people who have tackled the Silmarillion for the first time because of watching videos and stuff. And, um, you know, I think uh, Tolkien is one of those things, the deeper you dive into it, the more you get out of it. So, yeah, it's a great, it's the best fantasy world, in my opinion, and I can't recommend going deeper enough. And that's what I'm talking about. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Tolkien About Pod, and you can also. Oh, my egg rolls are ready. <laughs> <laughs>